The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. One day in the summer of 2019, I was living the Marine Corps dream. I was in command of a firing cannon battery on deployment aboard ship with my Marines. And I should have been happy, but on this particular day, I was furious. What had me so upset, you might wonder? Well, it's the Marine Corps, so it could have been a myriad of things like DTS, long formations in the well deck, or dealing with recent Liberty incidents. But this time, it was pro-con marks. A bit more specifically, it was the fact that the battalion sergeant major and CO had changed my Marines marks after I submitted them and without informing me. I only realized this after they were officially published in MOL and could no longer be altered. Needless to say, I wasn't happy. And frankly, I was probably wearing that attitude a little too loudly on my sleeve in conversations with my staff and officers. It was then that I received a surprising comment from a staff NCO that it honestly shocked me. It doesn't really matter, sir, he said. It doesn't matter. How could this not matter? We worked hard to ensure our Marines received the appropriate marks in accordance with the IRAM. We tried to ensure the quality spread seemed right, fighting score inflation. And after all, these marks were important to the Marines, right? It's one of the major factors in getting promoted. I said as much to the staff NCO, and he answered that the proficiency in conduct marks didn't affect the Marines' cutting score for promotion all that much. A 0.1 or 0.2 change in proficiency accounted for only five or 10 points towards a Marine's score. That might be enough to shift a Marine's promotion a month or two, but those points could easily be made up by increasing by one or two pull-ups on the PFT, say. As a battery commander, I didn't really like that answer. There was nothing I could do after the fact, but I, like many others, enjoy the occasional fight I can't win, especially if it's for my Marines. I also felt that it didn't matter if the effect was large or small. It was the principle of the thing. But the prior enlisted Marine in me also knew that he was right. I recall receiving better than average pro-con marks in, back in my day, but uh, what I knew back then was that the ticket to getting promoted fast was not being the best at my MOS. It was nailing a high score on the PFT. Even though I was still fuming over the pro-con mark fiasco, I couldn't help but go back to my cabin and do a little math. I wanted to know exactly how much each factor of the cutting score mattered. I was after what I would like to now call promotion elasticity. What is elasticity, you might ask? And elasticity basically is the percentage change in quantity for every unit percentage change in the price. But elasticity is unit invariant, so it doesn't matter that you're looking at a $1 change or uh, because it's percentage change. That was Marjorie Buckholland, an economics professor here at MPS. And we're going to use the economics approach to try to answer this question about incentives for promotion, as well as other closely related topics like retention and recent updates to the Marine Corps Junior Enlisted Evaluation System. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, the Trident Room podcast senior producer, Mike Wish, sits down and has a conversation with Professor Bacallan, Major Alex Ryan, and Major Rob Wells. How is it that I can have the responsibilities of a major or a captain and still just be paid as a first lieutenant? Why doesn't the Marine Corps promote officers within their MOS instead of you know, farming it out to the entirety of the officer corps? 
why does our, our performance evaluation system for junior Marines rely so heavily on non-job performance MOS things? Do the Marine Corps have merit-based promotions? The Army does. So why does not the Marines? Why doesn't the Marine Corps do rate tests like the Navy or Air Force? So there's a lot going on here. We all have our complaints and criticisms, but very few of us are actually in the problem, looking for solutions. So we're going to need some help. So my name is Major Alex Ryan. I am a operations research analyst, uh, but primarily what I do is data science uh, for uh, Marine Corps Manpower and Reserve Affairs. And Ryan, what qualifies you to do such work? So I graduated with the 8850 designation, which is uh, a degree in operations research under uh, the GSOIS college there at NPS. So definitely a solid educational background there coming from NPS, but he isn't the only one that's going to help us out today. So Major Rob Wells, I'm the JPEZ uh, section OIC. And what is JPEZ, you might ask? Well, that is the new junior enlisted performance evaluation system, which Rob helped field and has been up and running for over a year now. And why did we move away from the legacy system? What was the biggest factor that drove the change? You know, several things, uh, one of them being transparency, right? So the pro-con system and MOL um, really doesn't provide the Marine um, a whole lot. when they get the, the output, right? So there's a, you know, under the legacy system, they got a number, you know, four, two, four, three. Um, you know, some of the research that they found was that by and large, uh, Marines were getting the exact same pro-con marks within a very narrow margin. So a very narrow distribution with little variance is a problem because we can't differentiate performance in the way we'd like. As we dive deeper into this problem and others, we're going to find that we need some tools, a framework for deciding what the costs and benefits are for any system. I think the Economist's toolkit is the right one for the job. So let's go back and visit Professor Bacallet again, get to know her a little bit better, and see what she has to offer. Okay. I am Mary G. Bacallet. I'm an economist, and uh, I am an associate professor of economics at the Graduate School of Defense Management. I'm also the academic associate of the Manpower Systems Analysis Curriculum. I joined NPS in 2014, and prior to that, I was an assistant professor at UC Irvine and then in in the Department of Economics, and I was adjunct faculty at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Okay, so Professor Bacallet is just barely qualified to help us out here. Uh, Professor, we're not dealing with markets and prices here. So how can economics help us approach the kind of problems that we're addressing? And how does an economist's view apply to the world in general? It offers this like general framework for really viewing the world. Like if you want to understand something and it's this way of viewing things, um, we, we call it like the economic way of thinking. And the, the, I think the power of this economic way of thinking is in how the discipline articulated um, principles and uh, these ideas about how humans interact with each other in a social behavior and, and uh, with the systems also, like with institutions, with the government, um, and 
how these principles can be applied to the real world of being able to take these tools of economic analysis and this way to think about the world, I find to be very powerful. And how do we then approach specific problems, say, like in military manpower? Um, the problems in the manpower sphere is really like the, the way to frame it is probably looking at the life cycle of a typical active duty service member, right? So from uh, what are the policies that, uh, uh, you know, that affect recruitment? And then um, from recruitment, then to retention, to promotion, how do we minimize destructive behaviors? And, and then there's retirement. And all these questions can be um, viewed through the lens of economics, whether it's in theory, by theory, uh, it's asking questions like, are we providing uh, the, incent the correct incentives to recruit, retrain, um, train even, uh, educate, train and educate, uh, promote, uh, you know, as well as the retirement kind of um, incentives uh, so that we retain, so that we have the, the active duty service members that is the best match Okay, so what kind of principles can we employ here? You, you mentioned incentives. How does something like that relate to, say, opportunity costs? So in a classroom, uh, the most intuitive way to describe opportunity cost is I am asking the students, what else could you be doing with your time? Like you could be out there surfing instead of being in the classroom. And so then that's the opportunity cost of being inside the classroom. Or um, literally, if you had to put put a dollar value on it, then it would be your next best alternative wage. And that is the opportunity cost of what you're currently doing right now for the same given period of time. One of my favorite ex examples of this is when you're watching a terrible movie, but you force yourself to finish it anyway, you know, you could totally stop halfway through and just do something more enjoyable, but you spend it a dollar at Redbox and you just can't walk away from it. An economist would point out that that cost is already sunk. That's right, sunk cost bias. Right? Yes, yeah. So that's that's like a, a sunk cost, and so at the at the margin, the the relevant uh, comparison for opportunity cost is actually what else could you be doing with your time um, instead of the one dollar value that you've already sunk because that's done. So, Professor, you mentioned another of the economists' principles called thinking on the margins. Can you explain that phrase? So the way an economist thinks on the margin is that, as we just pointed out, like with the sunk cost analogy, is um, that it's really the next unit, the next. So, so uh, uh, you know, when when say like you're you're looking at, uh, you're already full, and I, I guess this is still the movie thing, and there's one slice of pizza left. Um, the cost of throwing out that pizza is not going to be the dollar value of the the what you paid for the pizza but actually the that at the margin you're adding n number of calories to your intake and so there's a cost to you of the marginal cost of that additional um, pizza is probably going to be higher than the marginal value of that last slice of pizza so when we take this into um, uh, policy um, evaluations, for example, economists that think that are trained to think on the margin look at the next dollar of investment, and that what is the value of that next dollar of investment 
as opposed to the cost of that additional dollar, right? And so when we say this is a worthwhile policy or a worthwhile investment, then the, the value, the additional value of this $1 input brings back more than a dollar in return. So at some point, we just hit diminishing returns, right? right? That's right. That's right. And so a lot of the interesting cases happen when you've hit diminishing marginal returns right, right. at that inflection point. Um, I, I tell our students at NPS, for example, that you know, most all students that show up on the first day's first day of class, you can tell they're all type A's, right? They didn't get here um, by not being the best at what they were doing at some point. Um, and, and so they're all so stressed. They have to get A's. They have to get everything right and, and all that stuff. And I, and I see, and like some end up with, uh, you know, having maybe conflicts at home um, uh, or letting other personal, uh, uh, you know, aspects of life um, fall to the wayside. And so I use your marginal analysis here. You hit a diminishing returns at some point, right? Like that additional hour that you're spending studying or perfecting some, you know, like code or whatever it is, that gain is worth less than an hour. Right. And there's an opportunity cost because you're neglecting something else that's actually relatively more valuable to you. Earlier, I had mentioned calculating something like the elasticity of promotion. What is elasticity exactly and how might it apply to this problem? A way to think about elasticity is from ju just by definition, and elasticity basically is the percentage change in quantity, whatever that is, for every unit percentage change in the price for whatever that thing is. And so if it is about an elasticity in um, promotion, then uh, perhaps the whatever you think of as the y-axis, uh, you know, what you put on the y and the x-axis. So it's not just the slope, because it's unit invariant. With a slope, so I'm, I'm getting mathy here. With a slope, then it's really just a one-level change in the x variable, whatever is on the, the, the running, whatever you put on the axis. But elasticity is unit invariant, so it doesn't matter that you're looking at... Um, uh, like a $1 change or uh, because it's percentage change. So maybe this would be a good example. Suppose you have a popular rock band that, right, they could just jack up the price for tickets to their show, but a less popular band couldn't because the percentage increase in price is just too high for the percentage of the population that's willing to pay for it. Is that right? Yeah, and so we characterize the latter example as being relatively more elastic. They're right. more sensitive to price changes relative to uh, more inelastic. So when you think about, um, uh, say, sensitivity to drug prices, so uh, the, the really necessary drugs, uh, uh, then those are relatively more inelastic in term or, you know, steeper slope, um, whereas the, the more elastic drugs would be things like vitamins and, you know, maybe supplement other kinds of supplements. So back to a promotion, my back-of-the-envelope math indicated that for the average Marine, pull-ups had the most elasticity. That is that earning a single additional pull-up created the biggest change in cutting score towards promotion. But it seems to me that work performance or MOS proficiency should meet that criteria instead and that the Marine Corps should incentivize that factor maybe more than the others. I would want to look at the data. Like actually, uh, you know, look at several years of data, um, uh, get 
if possible, the population of all Marines who went through the old system, and then um, going forward under this new system, do a before-after comparison. Um, I would use uh, what we call econometric tools, which are really um, data uh, analysis, like statistics and economics. And so I would actually look at machine learning algorithms to estimate those elasticities. And, and allow for not just how each of these inputs might enter on their own, but they might interact, right? So somebody who is, because I would think that pull-ups uh, are complemented or decomplement, de you know, the, the height and weight might have something to do with the number of pull-ups that you can do, as an example, right? And so it's not just going to be the at the margin, the marginal impact of a pull-up, but the interaction, perhaps, of height and weight with number of pull-ups. So uh, it turns out maybe the story is more complicated, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe my analysis might have been a little shallow because even though doing an extra pull-up might actually be most elastic, if the height and weight data shows that the amount of work required to earn that extra pull-up for some particular person or you know, some set of Marines is actually very difficult, uh, then, then perhaps that might be another factor. That's right. And, and so we call this, um, that there could be these other omitted variables. That it's right. not just that it's pull-ups. It might all be, we need to hold constant all these other things if we are going to try to identify what is the elasticity with respect to the marginal pull-up. Um, I wouldn't call it shallow, however, so I would rewind that. Um, it's not shallow. Having done back-of-the-envelope calculations myself, um, you know, sometimes the data are what the data are, and that's the best thing we can do, and it's better to have something than nothing. It turns out that we have a lot of data for this type of analysis. Hopefully, the kind of data one might use in the first place to build a promotion system that incentivizes the right attributes that we're looking for. Sure. So the and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me for the legacy system, but overall the the legacy system uh, was much so had a much higher percentage of where the score comes from uh, that came from subjective criteria. That's Major Alex Ryan again. So if the legacy system didn't hit the mark here, how is the new system JPEZ any different? So after a lot of basically. Uh, data analysis after a lot of uh, ability for me to be able to drive in, look at the data. I had some, we had some great people, great senior enlisted expertise as well that was on the team. And we're able to get a solution that was called what we named was relative scoring. How does relative scoring work using something simple like physical fitness, for example? And that's what G the JPEZ system does for a lot of these basic uh, objective criteria and objective features, such as the PFT and the CFT. Uh, with what we do is we take all active duty, Lance Corporal and Corporal CFTs and PFTs, and basically create similar what would be like a uh, cumulative distribution function. We learn about at the uh, uh, with, within the, the OR program. We basically use a scale that's similar to like what you would take on the Iowa test of basic skills, such as if you have a, if you're in the 20th percentile, if you're in the 40th percentile, if you're in the 60th percentile. And when you do that, then you have a better, much better understanding and idea of, so what does it take to be in the top 10 percent? 
And what we're able to do is basically build a table that translates this information into an easily digestible, machine-readable, or uh, basically marine-readable format that allows a marine to be able to, uh, or a machine, to be able to identify exactly how well they are doing against their peers. So now that you've converted all these measurables into distributions, how do you get the whole picture of the marine? And the advantage to that is that then you can easily add those distributions up together and you minimize the bias of adding different distributions with different means together. By transforming those distributions, those uh, distributions that are different into a common distribution, you can add them up. And then therefore, it ensures that the amount that you're getting credit for your CFT is weighted approximately the same as what you're getting for a PFT and is weighted about the same for what you're getting for your rifle. Well, this certainly seems to solve a lot of problems of the old system. It means that my back-of-the-envelope math shouldn't edge out pull-ups over other metrics, at least not in general. This means that Marines can make more effective decisions about where to focus, say, in areas where they can make big gains, either by moving up in the distribution uh, or in areas where they have a large propensity for improvement to begin with. But there's still the issue of the subjective evaluation of Marines' performance. For that, let's go back to Major Rob Wells. So, Rob, what was the big issue with the legacy system, and how did JPEZ address those problems? Right, but the guidance for, for pro-cons in the IRAM, uh, which is the, the manual um, that covers a lot of administrative functions to, to include uh, pro-cons, was, it was written several decades ago, and if, if you went in there, it just wasn't that the guidance about where to mark Marines just isn't uh, really in line with, with today's Marines, right? Because it was written, written such a long time ago. Um, so one of the consequences of that was you have, again, Marines getting the same marks uh, within a very narrow margin, um, and that, that doesn't really do a very good job of, of breaking out Marines from one another. So you have duplicate composite scores, which, which also has the secondary effect of, of closed out MOSs. Um, and, you know, it's just that the system, you know, in, in theory, uh, it, it worked. But, you know, just looking at the data um, and the, the efforts to, to modernize uh uh, performance evaluation and talent management, it was time uh, for, for a new system. Some of the other complaints about the legacy system is that many of the other quantifiable data like rifle scores, PFT, CFT scores, etc., were essentially double counted in the proficiency mark. So how does JPEZ, uh, how has that changed to combat those issues? Okay, yeah, great question. So, you know, one of the things uh, about JPEZ that we, we kind of hammer hammer home every time is that, you know, 75% of that Marine score is objective and is, is, you know, on that Marine. It's pulled directly out of McTiff's uh, for what they have for individual training, um, you know, PME, Marine Net, self-education, right? So that the majority of that PEZ score is just, you know, pulled unemotionally directly out of McTiff's, right? And then the command uh, has that 25% um, to do the subjective piece of the, of the evaluation and character, MOS, mission accomplishment, um, and leadership. Now, if you go into the order uh, for those three, three attributes in the command input, um, that the language you know, does uh, 
steer more towards, you know, especially on the MOS proficiency side, um, you know, how, how the Marines doing, you know, in their actual their job and their community. Now, there, there is a little bit of, of overlap on some things, um, you know, what, like it, you, just when it comes to, to setting the example and having, you know, being fit and, and those kind of things can translate over to leadership. Um, but we've we it make the order makes it pretty clear that uh, we want, you know, the Marine gets the 75 percent from McTiffs and then the command you know, really zeroes in on, on that Marine's performance on the subjective side with the command input metrics. In speaking with Professor McCollard, an economics professor here at MPS, she suggested that taking data from the legacy system and JPEZ and conducting some sort of direct comparison or analysis would be really useful. Has anything like that been attempted? Uh, Major Ryan, Alex Ryan, actually had a, a big, big part in this. He, he he did take what you know we were proposing, right? To put in, uh, make the metrics of the PEZ score and the weighting, um, and applied that to a the, to the current you know population at that time of eligible uh, lance corporals and corporals um, for promotion. Now he couldn't you know completely simulate it just based off of you know how. The command input works with it being, you know, just 25%. Um, and then also, you know, the, the guidance in, in the, uh, for the command input is now, you know, what was formerly the, the quote, average Marine 4243, depending on your unit, now translates right down the middle to 2.5. Okay, so... Um, he, you know, with that guidance, he, he ran the, the numbers, so to speak, uh, with, with the data. Um, and, and what what we found was that we we at least, you know, in the uh, the, the simulation, you know, we were getting uh, balanced Marines, right? You are strong performers uh, in all four areas of, of the four pillars of JPEZ, which are uh, warfighting. Uh, physical toughness, uh, mental agility, um, and and command input. The command input part is is where we had to do the most uh, artificiality. I think um, again, just because we're kind of resetting the scale. Um, but there was there there was some uh, some testing done beforehand, um, and it, it you know the the estimation was that we would get you know high quality Marines who are balanced in all four areas. And what kind of post-implementation analysis has been conducted? Um, and that is definitely a priority um, to look at the data, you know, in reality now um, and, and see, you know, if we have Marines who are getting promoted with, say, you know, really high mental agility or maybe it's, it does, you know, war fighting, does that pillar kind of have an outsized impact? And how does how do other areas of manpower play into this? For example, is is retention going to play into this new program? Does JPEZ feed information into, say, reenlistment packages? No, absolutely. So uh, integration with the the retention side of the house um, that that was one of the initial uh, objectives of JPEZ. Uh, kind of phase one being replace pro cons and the composite score. Phase two. Uh, being integration 
uh, with the retention re-enlistment process. There's a huge section of students here at MPS. They're studying data analysis, economics, etc. Are there any open research questions at Manpower right now that might be useful as a resource for an MPS student, say, looking for a thesis project here that they might be able to help you guys answer? You know, maybe, uh, you know, not sure how to do it right now, but look at, you know, is, is JPEZ um, incentivizing Marines to perform um, the, the, way, the way we think it does? And maybe how that, um, you know, how does that relate to uh, the Mature the Force initiative, right? Because, you know, essentially for a Marine, um, to be a sergeant, they're, they're going to have to re-enlist. Um, so that, <clears throat> that's something uh, as well to look at. Well, thanks to Rob and Ryan for helping us figure out how this program got started and uh, some of the thought process that went into it. Well, it's funny how, to the uninitiated, the solutions to the world's problems just seem so obvious. But the more you dig into these complicated and very often nuanced issues, I think the more generally we find smart, hardworking people trying to solve them. And the problems are always so much more complicated than we initially imagined. I think my complaint about our legacy system was a valid one, and while my envelope math didn't solve anything, it at least quantified a potential weakness in that system. And I'm thankful to both Alex and Rob and all the other Marines who actually did something about it instead of just complaining to their staff and all, and later making a podcast about it. Thank you also for coming on the show. Uh, most of this episode was recorded over the last year, so JPEZ has been around long enough now to dig into the data and evaluate what is going on and what's happened with the new system implementation. I'm looking forward to a follow-up episode, hopefully soon, to answer that question. And lastly, I'd also like to thank Professor Bacalid for taking the time to chat about economics, something that she's obviously passionate about. Normally, when I end an episode, I ask the guests to give MPS students a piece of advice, and we ended up getting some great advice, though it came unexpectedly at the very beginning of our interview. And so with that, I'll leave you with her comments and look forward to our next episode together. And I want to lead off with an easy question, and that is, you are a professional economist. And when people who are not economists find that out about you, what is the first question you get? Um, what's a good stock to invest in? And so the my typical response has been pay off all your credit cards. And it's really because most credit cards um, charge an interest rate of, you know, maybe about 15%, if not higher, right? And so uh, on a good year, a good stock, um, uh, an index fund might yield you 10%. And so it's really way more worth it, knowing with certainty that you're cutting off that upwards of 15% APR credit card debt. And so don't think about the stock market if you carry more than zero balance on your monthly credit card bills. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash tridentroom.